Yes. And your property goes all the way to the water? Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. And at part of it, it goes beyond the water. Oh. It's middle of the stream and apart, and then it, it, it cuts. When the stream yeah. turns, it goes beyond. It. It's... You know? But this is like, this is beautiful, our backyard. Yeah, it is. And nobody could see you back here. This is like, there's a berm that they built, what, in 55, something like that, you said? Yeah, before we, we came up as summer residents, that there was a big flood in, I want to say, probably 57, 58. And the National Guard came in and they built a berm that has lasted through all these storms. So it actually prevents the water, you know, it's from overflowing the banks. Uh, we were hoping they would just continue that berm all the way down and plant it. They needed to put the trees in and do it. I think eventually, uh, but they've, every attempt that they've done, when, when that water comes through, it moves rocks, uh, tremendous rocks. I'm, Pixie probably told you how that little stream that's so little, okay, that it washed, it, wa uh, it washed that whole yeah. area, the whole road out. It's when I mean, the water flow was flowing great. You know, this is when the storm, the last big storm we had. I'm so glad that the blue hole ecologically is coming back now because yeah. of the yes. regulation, which yes. is really, really great. You know, I, 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 it's a beautiful place. I mean, it is. It's beautiful. Even, I think you, are you seeing there. a difference there? Oh, big, big difference. During the week, we still had quite a few little incidences where people came and still made a mess. Uh, so hopefully that they're using this program as a pilot for the weekends, that maybe they'll just continue it through the week. Our that day they, off. <laughs> <Our> day off. <laughs> that they continue to... You know, have permits and have coverage. We do. See, a lot of people don't, they, they say, what are you talking about? But especially after a rainstorm, that you can say, wow, you can smell the trout. You can, you know they're there. And we have a son that comes up from Texas. And uh, two minutes, he throws his whatever lure or worm or whatever, and he gets a nice fish. We could be out there. <laughs> We just don't seem to have the right thing, but we always say when Gene comes, they smell him, and they want to eat, and he catches them. Uh, and my dad was that way. My dad caught, I think it was, a, they said a salmon trout. About, it was that big, and we have pictures of that. That oh, The DEC, you know, didn't really believe that it came from the back, but of course it was all documented. And But it used to be you could catch, in those days, I think the limit was seven fish, now I think it's down to three, but you could catch your limit anytime in the front and the back. But recently, and everybody will say at the past, I want 15 years, 12, 15 years, that it's just declined. And we're just not sure why. I, I really believe they used to have a crusher down here, a stone crusher. And they would take stone out of the stream and they used it for the highway. And the, you know, that to me was really good because it kind of kept those channels open. Kept the open. fish alive, made holes for the fish to spawn yeah. in. You know? And we know trout, in order to spawn, they kind of need a dam or something. And then, of course, we weren't allowed to dam up the stream anymore. In the old <laughs> days, they used to have a bulldozer come in the stream. Yeah. And it would be yeah. a, this much of what is done in one rainstorm. But if they let property owners push a bulldozer in the, in the beginning of summer, okay, push it up, make a big swimming hole. Yeah. The fish should have a place to spawn. Yeah, and they do go over Then it, the, they wouldn't have to yeah. buy so many fish from fisheries. It would be yeah. native to that area. Yeah. As a result, a lot of the native trout are not here anymore. 
we because have, we used we to go in the backyard and catch catch yeah. fish right away. No more. Yeah. No more. It's just. But and, I know that one guy, we we yeah, well, we. I'm sorry. No. What one. we did was one time. <laughs> I just kind of challenged it, and I put a little dam in the front. We have a binny kill, which means this, the source of it springs the beginning of a, a kill or a river. And that, I think the binny kill starts probably, what, about a mile up the road from us? And yeah. uh, even that, we're not supposed to do this. No, but it was after, it was right after Irene, and nobody was really watching. So I just thought, I'm going to build a dam across. Let's just see if it brings some trout back. And we do, we've got trout there now. So when they stock, we do have some natives. We've had, in other words, people say they're definitely natives, but we don't allow people to fish there because we want them to kind of grow. And if one to, of our children yeah. brings their child at yeah, four years old, ones. five years old, wants to catch a fish, we do it in a bini Yeah, that's it. So no, we don't let anybody fish that. And right. it's something, fortunately, we can control it because we own the property on both sides. When we're not there, we don't know what happens, but... Uh, we still see some people got some, come yeah, some nice, nice natives. One, one big there. trout was gone, you know. But I thought yeah. it was born again. Well, you know, like, they may or, go downstream. They look yeah, no, there. and we've also had the, the, the cranes. I think it's the cranes. That, the the heron, big, heron, 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 heron. The blue heron comes yeah. in. They eat a lot of and fish. They, eat, they, yeah, they, they love the fish. fish. <laughs> and it's shallow enough there. So they, they're, they're smart. But again, that's all, to me, that's nature. Uh, but putting that little, just a little dam. And believe it or not, it hasn't washed out since, and I mean, that was like eight years ago, and it was still kind of there. So, and it's not stopping them because the water does flow over it. Uh, with the DEP, in other words, for many years, we know that there was a lot of opposition between state and uh, the DEP, the city. Okay, you had the other opposition, which we had a really nice uh, presentation the other day at the museum that they had, what, four speakers that were from old families that lived here. And they were forced from their farmlands and their homes. One of them happened to be our nephew, and Adam Hornbeck. And they were talking about, you know, it was how they, in other words, the animosity. But Adam's story is kind of unique because he came full circle, all right, that his grandparents, it was just one afternoon, okay, they were playing checkers in what they called Eureka, his grandfather. And they came, and while he was gone, they posted the signs, okay, that it was, con in other words, condemned, okay, the houses. And when they went home, that they were condemned. Many of the people hired lawyers, all right, so if this, the city offered them, let's just say, $10,000, most of them wound up with 7000 because they had to pay for the lawyers. So, all right, so they had that animosity. But Adam went to college, all right, and it's a new generation. And Adam's got to be probably about 54 now, but he is the surveyor for the New York City Water Department. All right, so he's saying, in other yeah. words, what was caused animosity years ago, he still has the homestead. He and his wife, all right, have built a log cabin up on Rocky Hill where the family was, in other words, bought new land and re, in other words, rebuilt a homestead up there. Uh, but their original farm, which is quite large, is down at the bottom of the round, Roundout Reservoir. Yeah, now it is. They own well, most of that property under the reservoir. Uh, the no, they been, had, The family's yeah. been up here since, what, 1600s? Oh, probably. Yeah, Raymond, my brother-in-law, used yeah. to say that at least they were those either are on the Mayflower or they're the Native Americans that met them. You want to interview but, Adam Hornbeck. Yeah, right, so and Hornbeck. yeah. So Betty... Betty Shaver. Yeah. Betty Shaver. Okay, yeah. was Betty yeah. here? Yeah. Okay, oh, Betty cool. is, cool. okay, Betty would be my sister's sister-in-law. In other words, my brother-in-law was, 
he passed away, and he four years ago, yeah. ninety-two. Raymond passed away. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he was highway superintendent for years out in Never Sink, but knew this area very, very well. No, as it was, it was, it was different. He once told me that when he was a kid fishing here, okay, they're going back now. What he was born when? Uh, I'd say probably nineteen. Oh gosh. Probably about 1920. Okay. Yeah. Now he walked up and down here, and he said about every 25 years, this stream would go from one side of the mountain to the other side. Yeah. You know, he said, and the fishing was so good that I used to come up here mm -hmm. from all the way from where they lived in Eureka, okay, uh, and, and he used to come up here fishing because this was the place to really get the trout in those days. Yeah. Adam, you want yeah. Adam, her son yeah. Adam. Yeah. He'll tell you the whole history with the stream and all yeah. from no, the 1700s, 1800s. He knows the whole history. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, and those are the stories I think that we really want to mm -hmm. know. Right. You can go right. back, back, back. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Adam Hornbeck. Most of us here, okay, the only one that was a real old timer, even she didn't grow up here, she grew up in Tilson, would be Gladys Van Wagner. I don't know if you got Gladys. Mm -hmm. that Gladys is. She one of the oldest people out yeah. here. Yeah, and okay. her husband, and Ploid. Too. Okay, the Ploid, in other words, the Van Wagners, they were a big settlement here, and Lois, the, the Floyd's brother, she's still here, Lois Barnum. So there's still some of that, you know, it was the old timers, but most of us on Picamos Road were seasonal people. In other words, yeah. we bought summer places, and then our folks retired, and then when they passed on, then we moved into the summer, you know, it was the homes that were mm -hmm. built by our parents. Uh, and we still, in other words, we're still there. Mm -hmm. So we see it, and it was growth from a certain point. Blue Hole, we remember when Blue Hole was private. Mm -hmm. And we used to sneak up there yeah. to go to the Blue Hole because it was private. And that was the whole Morell estate. Uh, then there was the Ash estate. So there were very, very wealthy people mm -hmm. that owned all of mm -hmm. where the campgrounds are. Um, and then one by one they were sold, mm -hmm. and as they were going up for sale, then the state bought the land, and uh, it just developed into the wilderness, you know, as part of that wilderness uh, forest. But for years, the Blue Hall, even after the state had it, that it was still very, you know, in other words, hardly anybody went. And then once it got on, it was National Geographic magazine, the movie that we told you about, which yeah. we'll get you a copy of that. When the state was buying up those private properties and uh, making it into public land, were, were people mostly like positive about it, or what was the kind of uh, feeling? Um, yeah, I don't think that it 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 was what I, I we used to use. It was after the people. Okay, the first one was Bannetton's Flats, that the people died. I think that's how it was, the one that you have to go over the bridge to get down, you have to walk down. And we had barbecues and clam bakes there, all right, because there was a big chimney there. And they developed this little sportsman's club down here. And most of the men belonged to this sportsman's club that really didn't do much, but we'd have that clam bake down there. And because we were able to use the land that we, that's where Frank and I actually met, camping up there. That it was free camping and it was quiet. Uh, I would say probably in the 80s, the mid 80s, there was a peak on Memorial Day that it began to peak and you'd get some, I would say more local, in other words, people like Liberty, Monticello, in other words, local people that would go up there and then they were partying. 
So we used to have Memorial Day, we'd go to my folks' house and we'd sit on the porch and watch, it was Sheriff Post, Ken Post. Ken Post was a sheriff then. Yeah. And he'd come with a brigade of sheriffs and deputies, okay, on horseback. And they paroled the whole area and it was okay. In other words, it wasn't uh, that messy. People, I think most of the people, like ourselves, you'd go camping and you knew that you were camping, you took your garbage bag out with you. Uh, but there wasn't that, that many other than just before graduation, our own Tri-Valley kids would go up there and they would have their parties up there, all right? Uh, but even then, I can't say it was messy. And it was still, you, when you had to go to the Blue Hole, you kind of slid down the bank to get there, yeah, right. all right? That you couldn't just walk down a path the way it is. Uh, that path, I want to say it was probably the past 10 years. In other words, it's not really, yeah, it's not, yeah, it's not really, really old. And once it was, the access was so easy, and those little parking lots, they just kind of grew as people began to pull off their own park and just knock the weeds and stuff down. So there's a time, I may have some pictures, I don't know, but there was a time where there was hardly any place that didn't look like there was a place to park. Yeah. Uh, so it was more the campgrounds being used than the blue hole. And, but once, like I say, uh, and to this day, I can tell you, I think that the campers are all still very, very clean. Uh, they, they support a business across the street, so we don't want to lose them. And most of the people that come are very, very in favor of, they would like to pay 20 or $25 a night, okay, to camp and at least have a bathroom. Because that idea of the cat holes, well, after work. you, yeah, yeah, after people get, and they realize it, and it's like, Most oh, yeah. Most people don't dig holes okay. in. Yeah. They and just go in the woods where nobody is. Well, that, or if they do, you know, how do you know that that's where the cat hole was last week or, you know, and you put a tent over two weeks ago? So they really, really would like to see, and I think that, I don't think that anybody that really is serious about keeping the land and doing the way that we're working and the way that we think, about even paying $10 a day to park, uh, that they would, they would welcome it and know that that spot would be there. If they have to, like Sam's point, if the, there's no spot right now, you drive around a little bit and you do something, and I mean, we could encourage them to go to the museum, do things locally, so I think we could work it in such a way that we could support other businesses and other things, but in the meantime, when there's a space available, it would be there. Now what we're seeing is the day that you were at the Blue Hole, we, there was only four or five cars there, and we have press passes, and they would not let us park there. Only one guy, okay? Only one so far. All the rest have been really nice. They wouldn't let us park there, okay? And I was thinking, if I just drove two hours up from the city, that it would be kind of like, you know, where if you drove and they, they said, well, you come back in about half an hour, there should be a space or, or something to that effect. Uh, the field where the campers are, the, the RVs, hardly ever used and I feel that would make a wonderful parking lot. It's got a gate there already, put somebody there, charge for the campsites, give them a permit. It's not a it's not a complex thing. We ran a park over in Fallsburg Morningside Park. We had I think it was like 175 campsites and we did run into a situation on a Memorial Day oh, weekend. We booked the whole all the sites out and commissioner, who was very nice, okay, 
she took a couple of bookings. So all of a sudden we didn't have 175, we had 200. But what we did was we quick went out, and these were electric water sites, until they were more sophisticated than this, that we ran out and we bought these little valves that split the water, so we put hoses this way, so we had two out of one campsite. They were a little more, nobody complained, everybody paid, and we just kind of winged it that weekend. The little, but the little cave it's at the not bottom. It's not difficult that I think the state could really do yeah. something with it. The, yeah. the bathrooms and showers there would be a wonderful thing, and let people pay, do like Manga. You know, do something. Yeah. That's what I told yeah. Andrew Cuomo. And, and Linda wrote a, a thing that I handed him one day because when, when we did the article yeah. on the front page of the newspaper for gaming, okay, he liked it so much that he called us up and he said, Look, I want to meet you. I'm going to be in Westchester. Please come to Westchester mm -hmm. tonight. So we went to Westchester to meet Andrew. And I gave him it that night. She designed a, a campgrounds for him, okay, that Mario Cuomo State Park. But politics probably got involved. They didn't want the, the conservatives probably didn't want yeah. Mario in there, you know. But I thought it was great, and we we said bathrooms, you know, tented areas, yeah. parking areas, showers, done properly, and, and give somebody a job locally over here with doing yeah. that, you know, and 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 make a positive image because I don't believe like Linda did. I think that at at the start when the state first started buying land, people got really really ticked off about it. The DE and then and then when it when it began that they saw what they were doing with it, I think then it it started to come down and became more positive at that point. I think it was you more know, the GEP yeah. buying the land, the city buying the land gave them more, yeah. seemed to have more issues, okay, than when the state bought. Mm -hmm. For some reason, I don't know why, okay, other than, like I say, maybe the local people felt, well, now we can use this land because, remember, it was private before. We couldn't use that land. So that was kind of, that kind of a plus. But when a lot of the people had, in other words, like the buffer zones, all right, and when the state would, or the city would go and buy them, they were still in that mindset of, oh, mm -hmm. they're taking over the whole valley. I mean, my That's son, right. yeah. Joe, Joe was still very paranoid of, hmm, someday so they're going to take, take this property. over. He's got 13 because, acres, six right, of so it's right on the street. There's that, you know? okay, there's still that, that feeling, and I feel the more, I mean, honestly, I mean, there was such a, like, oil and water between the city and the state, or you know, probably, that that day I called, I called Bill Rudge and I said, Bill, you blew it. You had the city and the, and the state, and they were there at one time. They could, I mean, Coward was not there that week, but the other guy was really nice, told us part. I said, you could have had them together. That would be better than having uh, the mayor of New York and Mary or Andrew Cuomo together. So it's two, like, year, you know, two years ago. There's de Blasio. <laughs> two years ago, July 4th, we went up there, and the traffic was backed up a mile in each direction. There were over 500 to 1,000 people walking on the road. There was one DEC officer there. So when I got home, I called Andrew Cuomo's office, and I said, Andrew, you got to do something about this. Besides, dangerous. I wanted to be Mario Cuomo dangerous. State Park. I said, but you got to come down because there's a dangerous situation here. Yeah. Within two hours, there was a state yeah. cops there. There was local cops. There was everybody the in captivity everybody, you yeah. could believe. And that so that's up. what started it. All so right. they blamed the yeah. townsmen and us for, for, here, locally. for, for making the Blue <laughs> Hole famous. But it's not true. It I'll give you a copy of the movie, and these yeah, guys I'll, I'll came to me one time, and when they came to me, give you a lot of a lot of history. No, I'm sorry. I say I'll dig out those papers. But but what happened was when they made the movie about the blue hole, the premise was is that Amelia Earhart crashed up here, not in the South Pacific. So they made the movie. National Geographic saw the movie, picked it up. They must have sent it to them, okay. And then they did the first article on the blue hole, and then what a year or two later was. 
Time and Leisure. Yeah. Yeah. Then yeah, they did then a centerfold in National Geographic oh, no, on just, the Blue Hole. That was just and last that's year. That's what made it the really famous. Yeah. Okay.